Hey, everybody. It's Movie Geeks United. Thanks for tuning in to another great show. Lots of great discussion to get to tonight. One thing we won't be discussing at length. <laughs> for anyone who has, who has listened to our past few shows. Um, I guess I'll just start by saying this. There's a like a parody Twitter account that I follow called The Last Blockbuster. I know that there are blockbusters in Canada and like one or two left in the U.S., but it's it's a, it's a funny account. They're acting like they have the only remaining blockbuster store, and they post really funny stuff. One of their posts last week was, look, we would pull every movie we have that features a sexual predator or assaulter, but then uh, we'd only have like six movies left. <laughs> Which I, I thought was a lot of truth. Uh, a lot of truth yeah, to that, sadly. Yeah. I mean... So I mean, even though even though you know the Kevin Spacey thing happened or whatever, we don't really feel like talking about it. Basically, we're we're you know it's it's sad and everything or whatever and and horrible and and uh, you know and all of that stuff. But uh, we've opened up the past two shows, of course, talking about Weinstein and Toback and and uh, all of these people and. It's obviously going to be an ongoing thing, and uh, <laughs> yeah. But just know that all, all of us, all of us believe uh, it is wrong, and he needs to be punished to the fullest extent of the law, much less career-wise. I mean, we all believe that. So there's nothing really yes. new that we can add to the conversation, mm. um, because we're yeah, a movie we, show. A celebration. Yeah, we are a movie show. We like talking about movies. That's why we get into the why. That's why we do this. So I mean, yeah, you know, we don't like talking about people's private lives, and uh, even though it's you know it's a big news story and everything, obviously, uh, we'd just rather talk about the movies. So that's what we're gonna do. <laughs> so let's talk, okay. Let's let's talk about the movies as it relates to to this real quick though, because uh, one major. Uh, he was going to be pushed for Oscars this year for the Ridley Scott movie. Right. What a, what a, what a you know, what a tough spot for the studio because you've spent, you know, however many eighty to hundred million dollars on a movie. That's right. Oh my mm-hmm. God. You know, playing, playing J- John, John Paul Getty. Uh, his makeup looks fucking terrible. By the way, mm-hmm. I think Woody Harrelson's makeup in LBJ looks terrible. It does. Me? Well, horrible. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if you can't, <laughs> you know, if you can't do the makeup right in these movies, you know, you just got to do another movie it. or something. Yeah, don't or don't bother with it. I mean, does anybody know what J. Paul Getty looked like anyway? Why do you need to take on the makeup? <laughs> I don't get it. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, just, just, have, just have Woody Harrelson slick his hair back. I'm fine with that. Right. I mean, uh, that was I, yeah, I he, but uh, all kidding aside, all kidding aside, I actually thought he was really good in the movie though. I mean, all kidding aside about the I'm makeup sure he and is. everything. He's a, he's a good actor. He's a really good actor. I I, I like him better than a lot of other people, but okay. He's an excellent actor, but yeah, well, anyway, we'll move on. We'll talk about that in a minute. But okay, yeah, so yeah, sure. with with Kevin Spacey, yeah, uh yeah, I mean <laughs> well, I mean, what are you going to say? You know, it's, it's it's a shame that it's ruining the the movie, I guess. But uh, I forgot I all about that movie, guys. I forgot that he was in it. So 
That's amazing. Well, it's easy to fun. forget because you know when you see him in the in the trailer, of course he's he's got the makeup on, so he doesn't even look anything like Kevin Spacey. So right, right. Uh, so that might be the and best I, thing that you can say about the movie is that people might go see it and forget that he's in it in in some way. And then he 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 had already filmed the Gore Vidal movie was done. Or it was right. In post. Right. So that's, that's uh, yeah. uh, how will that ever see the light of day? You know. It is cra- it is crazy, by the way, all of this. Uh, you know that that uh, you know when we left our last show, Kevin Spacey was one of our tr- most treasured actors, pretty much loved by everyone, mm-hmm. and uh, now that's all over. So it's yeah. almost like he's dead. Uh, in some well, ways. Uh, cor- uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not can't speak for his personal life, even though, uh, you know, I know probably if I was the father of one of the children that he abused, which apparently Richard Dreyfus is, uh, I would, I, I yeah, would yeah, but um, yeah, you know, can I ask it's just uh, hundreds of mil- hundreds of millions of dollars, Jerry, uh, mm-hmm. that uh, these 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 companies just got to swallow, and yeah, maybe some of the companies knew and they kind of turned their backs. Uh, like I think that I definitely believe that. Mm. Can I ask a question though? And you can cut this out of the show if you want, because it's pure speculation. Um, and I'd actually really appreciate it, but I just need to ask you guys this. So we have two instances of Kevin Spacey that I know of working with Brian Singer, the usual suspects in Superman Returns. Right. And given the rumors about Brian Singer over the years, um. Yeah, do you, I mean, is there, I mean... What, I'm they're in collusion or something? They're, yeah. they're, they're in a little cabal together? And... Yeah. <laughs> I'm not thinking of that. I mean, but were there instances, do you think, on the set that were after, you know, that they got... Yeah, together. Now, I didn't want to believe the things about Brian Singer, but now I'm, like, thinking about that in a whole new light, unfortunately. Um... Well, you know, they're, they're, according, according to uh, according to Feldman, I have a lot of problems with Feldman. Uh, oh, he's an idiot in, in many respects. Yeah, but yeah. Um, according to Feldman and many others in that whole documentary that Amy Bird did, an open uh, Amy Bird, an open secret. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's a society. It's it's a, like an underground society, as it is, you know, in, in regular walks of life. Uh, you know, there's a subset of society that is that promotes and engages in pedophilia. Uh, so it's not uh, beyond the realm of uh, comprehension that the two of those, right. the two of them, were aware of each other. Yeah. Right, right. Anyway, on to the movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. We, we ended up talking about it anyway. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, it's, it's, really, it's very Dennis curse. What are you so, going to do? Gonna, gonna, what are we going to not? Uh, you know, I mean, we're not going to pay attention to the, you know, I mean, the two-time Oscar winner, you know, disappearing from public life for. Ever basically, <laughs> it seems like. Yeah, uh, I don't it's know. Done. There, there, there is no rebound. Uh, uh-huh. Nor should they be, you know. But we say that, but uh, you know, there, there have been others that have engaged in. All right. So, what right. else have you guys seen? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll let Jerry start off because I know he's seen Thor, which I know is getting great reviews. The new Thor Ragnarok oh. movie. Okay, I I think it's a fine film. You can take the whole family to see it. Uh, I, oh, oh, it's not a consumer show. Okay, good. Okay, no, I really liked the movie a lot. I really enjoyed it, and the reason I think I like it is the most comic booky of the films that has, but it also has so much fun with it too. 
Because mm. um, you bring in these all these different. You know, we really, as far as comic book films go this year, I think we've really been lucky to get two of the pretty best lucky. Yes, yeah. I mean lucky. Um, you could get two of the best comic book based storylines and made into really good films and realizing that they didn't have to be beholden to the source material. And the first one would be Logan, which is based on the old man Logan storyline and they did a really good job with that. And here this one is sort of based on the Planet Hulk storyline, which they couldn't be really they can't make accurate because another studio owns a lot of the characters from that thing, from that storyline. But I like the way they incorporated it. Um and I like that they had two of, two of like uh, Thor, uh, Chris Hemsworth, and the Hulk with Mark Ruffalo, and they have a lot of fun with those characters. And I think one of the, why this film works is they don't take it seriously; they have fun with it. The Thor movies, they sort of like you know let their guard down, like with the Iron Man movies when they're good, and have some fun with it. I mean, and I enjoyed that thoroughly. I mean, it, it's just a really fun movie, and also the best use of the immigrant song I've ever seen in my life. Um, Outside of the girl with the dragon tattoo, um, so there's that, and it's just, it's just, it, it, it is. Someone said that bloom goodness in it. Yes, it does. Oh yes, there's that. Um, every, everyone's very good. Everyone actually is very good. Comes in and just does a really good job. But it's just a lot of fun, you know. You don't, and I don't even know if you really need to see the other Thor movies. You can just sort of walk into this cold and have a good time. Um, Tessa Thompson is very good in it. Um, she's she's great. Really I like, like her a yeah. lot. I mean, yeah, I, I, she's I, really a great addition. I mean, you're so glad that she's part of this thing now because she's a great addition. And mm-hmm. um, you know, so I, it's it's, a, it's just a lot. Of, it's a good. It's a good time. I mean, the guy. Are you a fan of? Is, are you a fan of the other Taika Waititi movies? You know, the yes, he's the that, writer director. So. You have to, you have to give this guy. You know, he is a definite reason this movie works. His other movies are good, and uh, the, what is it, the Hunt for the Wild, the Wilder People, and yep. the, the and what we do in Shadows, right? That's the other yes. one. And, and, and also Eagle versus movies. Shark. Also yes, Eagle e- versus e- Shark. Yes. yes. These are all good <clears throat> movies, and and these are all, and I think actually, you know, having bringing him in. To the mix was a great idea because he makes it, he brings that vibe to it. That's definitely there. Yeah. Um, let's don't forget he's a let's don't forget he's an Oscar winner already because he won an Oscar for a short film that he did in the in the two you know like somewhere around 2009 called uh, or I think it was somewhere in that area to, in the 2000s called one uh, two cars one night so uh, it was a short film. Uh, so, uh, so the prequel to know. Two Girls One Cup, I believe. So is he the first Oscar that, winner so. to do one of these Marvel Marvel movies? I think so. I think oh, so. What about Kenneth Branagh? What about Kenneth? He's about never Kenneth won. He never won. Oh, okay, but okay, okay, you're right. Okay, then, um, I don't think he's going to get one for Murder on the Orient Express. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad that the movie's good. I, I I'm almost convinced to go see it because I am a fan of his movies, and uh, I heard that the uh, the art direction and the the costume design is really nuts. Oh, so. that's good. It is. And you know who else is very good in it? Kate Blanchett. She brings so much to it as well. Oh gosh, she's, oh, she's really man. good. Yeah. And that's the you know I'm 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 kind of I'm almost I'm convinced to go see this one now you yeah. know I mean it takes a lot of convincing for me to go see these movies because 
you know, they, you know, the fans themselves will tell you, well, if they're not made for you if you're not a fan. So, but, uh, you know, uh, I'll risk going and feeling like I'm a little, you know, uh, out of my element a little bit. Cause I, I know I'm going to get in there. <clears throat> I know I'm going to, I tried to watch Spider-Man Homecoming earlier uh, over these past two weeks, and I cut it off after five or ten minutes because I was like, I don't know what's going on, and uh, (laughs) so I'm not in the mood for this. I know it's supposed to be good, so I am going to watch it, but uh, you you are right. You you are right, Jerry, in that uh, you know I'm not a particular fan of these uh, these type of movies, but I do recognize that this year with Logan, Wonder Woman, uh, the Spider Man yes, movie, and, and this that uh, they do it does feel like they're upping their game a little bit in terms of and well we do want to still make good movies for people we're right. not just yeah we're not just in the business. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, I'm putting that category too. I, yeah, I, okay, I, I'll, I'll go with that a little uh, to a certain extent, although I, I wasn't high on that movie. But, uh, no, no, you no. know. But, well, I need to watch it again, to be honest with you. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, did you see The Florida Project? Yes, yes, I did. I saw that a couple of weeks ago, and I, I thought that was wonderful. Um, what a great movie. Oh, so great. Uh, you know, I was I was you know a fan of Sean Baker's last movie, Tangerine. I, I thought mm-hmm. that uh, I thought that the parts you know dealing particularly with the girls on the street were good. I didn't. There was a little subplot with one of their guys and the trouble right. at home and stuff that I didn't think worked. But uh, this movie works completely a hundred percent all the way through. Um, and also, uh, you know, like his last movie was shot on a on a uh, famously shot on an iPhone. Uh, this one is shot in thirty five, and yeah. so what? <laughs> and it's wonderful too because, you know, this would be the type of movie like um, like you might expect, sort of like American Honey or something like that, where <clears throat> you know you would mm-hmm. expect this this story, which takes place in a Florida. A motel that's uh, being uh, that's peopled by a lot of um, uh, lower income uh, families and so forth. Right. Uh, and they're just right outside of Disney World in in Orlando, Florida, or Disneyland or whatever it is. And uh, um, it's a, it's as plotless a movie as you can almost possibly have because there's. I mean, there is literally no plot in it. It's just a slice of life movie that's set over one summer and follows this uh, this young girl Mooney, who's played by mm-hmm. Brooklyn Prince, uh, in a fantastic uh, you know lead performance. Uh, she's mm-hmm. you know six or seven years old, as is you know a lot of the cast, uh, and she's living there with her uh, mother, who is uh, turning tricks and and doing very to keep them alive. The mother is played by Bria Venate. Uh, she's very good in it. Um, uh, and, of course, uh, the uh, the manager of the property uh, is played by Willem Dafoe, and he's fantastic. Uh, it's nice to see him playing uh, 
<clears throat> a character that's rather normal, at least. I mean, you know, he's kind of he's kind of known for doing, you know, uh, kind of out there characters in most of his movies, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, so so this this one was a rather uh, rather benign character that's actually, <clears throat> uh, you know, sort of the father figure in the uh, in the um, in, on the property. It's funny. It's called the Florida Project, and I was thinking, you know, what a strange title. It sounds like a sounds like something that's, that's like they haven't figured out the title of it yet. Right. <clears throat> and uh, you know, like this was a working title, but then while I was watching the movie, I was like, this is the project. This is. Yeah, this is a project, you know, like a, you know, a, mm-hmm. I don't know, for lack of a better word, a ghetto or whatever. It's the projects. So it's like this is the Florida project. Um, so I finally got it midway through the movie. But uh, right, right. Boy, what a beautiful movie! It's it's so it you know beautiful. you would think oh this is going to be this is going to be a slog. It's going to be trashy and horrible and and uh, really downbeat. Uh, it, it is, uh, you know, it knows all of those things uh, are are part of part of this world, but yet it manages to be incredibly uh, colorful, uh, widescreen, you know, pan, you know, two, three, five uh, right. ratio, uh, beautiful colors, uh, purples and reds and oranges and greens and, all sorts of uh, just popping, uh, popping right out there. You know those colors. The cinematography is by Alexis Sabe or Zabi, mm-hmm. maybe I'm yeah. not sure. And uh, the the film editing, which is fantastic, because you got to figure, you got to figure. This is not a screenplay driven movie. I don't no, think. No, no, it, not like yeah, American it has. Honey. I mean, like American Honey. I mean, that's what you're right. I saw. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it feels like it feels like they would have had. There's a lot of improv that must have gone on between the with the kids and so forth. And in that, you've got to you've got to pay attention to the film editing because there had to have been a lot of footage that they shot on this movie that they had to go through in order to whittle it down to what it is now. But uh, it's uh, it's the perfect length. It's uh, it's the perfect pace, um, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> it, it's uh, it, even though it doesn't have a plot, it keeps you it keeps you very very connected into uh, to what's going on. There's uh, there's the sense of danger is around every corner, sort of on the edges of everything. Right. There's a lot of joy in the movie. This movie has more. Mm-hmm. Smiling and laughing and fun in it than that almost you would ever expect. Yes, I mean, yeah. But that's just um, an examination of childhood. I think I really do have to agree with a lot of the critics who who said that. But I mean, this is what it really means to be a kid to explore. To I mean, it's like this. The it's such an alien world to us and to also them. These kids are exploring. And it has a very peanuts like vibe to it at times, almost a very. Um, how do I say it? I mean, it is what childhood is about. I mean, ending is not what you expect. It, it is a very cinematic ending, a very movie, movie, magical moment. Um, yes. I, I, don't, you do not see coming at all. No, I, I, no. I it is, it is, <laughs> Just it is, leave it at it that. Is, but 
Yeah, it is. It is a surprising ending. I, I think some. I think some people are kind of taken aback by it. Um, it's funny too. I thought the movie was. I thought there was a lot of funny stuff in it. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I was because I think Brooklyn Prince and the kids, uh, the other kids that are in the movie, are 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 they're funny. I don't care what anybody mm-hmm. says, they are funny. And if anyone's um, a kid, any child, if anyone who was a kid, you remember doing stuff like this. I don't care what your background was. We all absolutely did stuff like this. Absolutely. And uh, but. I do get the sense when I was sitting there watching the film with a kind of upper crust audience, you know, it's it's playing at one theater here in Atlanta and it's the upper crust uh usually the blue right. hairs uh go to this theater to go see, you know, Victoria and Abdul or something like that. But uh so they've got this movie and me and my friend Brian were sitting there and we were howling through a lot of it. But we were yeah. the only people really laughing. The other people I wonder if the other people thought that this was horrifying, that this was the horrifying world of the poor and uh and uh there's there's no no place for laughter here because there's danger around every corner. The kids are you know, wandering around near the traffic, there might be predators down the hallway. The the mother's turning tricks while the while the uh, while the uh, her daughter is in the bathtub. Um, you know, it's yes, there's danger there, but the movie sh- the movie shows that yeah, there can there can be like a squalor going on, uh, but there can be joy there too. Right. And uh, the mother is, yes, irresponsible and so forth, but she's also a good mother, I think. I mean, she's definitely paying attention to her child. She knows where she she is, well, maybe not all the time, but um, I don't know. I, I don't want to – it does become difficult when you're trying to categorize the mother. As to, is she a good mother? Is she not? I yeah, don't know. I think for – I don't know if I agree 100% just given – Given some of the things that, but I don't, given her background, also given the situation, I don't think she knows any banner, really. Mm-hmm. So I am, I mean, so I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, although I don't know if I want to go, I don't know if I want to make that pronouncement one way or the other yet. <laughs> yeah, you. Well, I think the movie just lets you. Let's just put it this way: the movie just lets you figure out how you feel about right. it. You know, yeah, it's like that's, it's, a, that's a great point. It doesn't. It doesn't try and dictate to you, you know, uh, the the moral underpinnings of things at all. Right. Um, well, it doesn't preach. It does not preach, which is nice. It's nice. Not. It's not a moralizing. It's not one way or the other. That's what's really interesting. Um, and like, and I have to say, you bring up American Honey. We can bring up this tank. It's very like that. Sean Baker almost feels like an acolyte of uh, Andrea Arnold. Yes. Know, it seems like in many ways. I mean, his this and Tangerine is definitely yep. a. Um, uh, I mean, that was a very good point to bring up American Honeydew. Very, very good. There's a yeah. There's definitely a, a, a some kind of some kind of kindred connection there that uh, mm-hmm. that that's very. But anything that you might think, I mean, I think we've characterized the Florida Project very well, uh, and I think that uh, you know you've uh, anything that you might. Uh, I, I just I just think that we've we've. You know, said it said it very well. Told you what to expect from it, and just expect really really great things from it. It's a it's a really really terrific movie. It's a big screen movie too. Don't uh, 
don't don't think that this will be something that'll work better on at home because it's really a beautiful movie to see on the big mm-hmm. screen. Uh, <laughs> so does so, it look uh, like does it look like the Florida Project and Call Me by Your Name will be the two indie darlings at the Oscars? I think I mean that those two and Lady Bird. I think uh, I think Lady, I think Lady Bird definitely. Lady Bird is gonna is gonna really kick some ass. I think. I got. I just gotta say, isn't it weird that Lady Bird and LBJ are out at the same time? Yes, oh, yes, yeah, yes. that is weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a very good point. That's a good point. <laughs> that was that was pointing that out, yeah. But uh, okay, so There's how was feature. LBJ? You you saw it? LBJ. Okay, so LBJ. Um, so basically, it's really what I, I. I'm not a big Rob Reiner fan, and I, you know, and that might be why he's fallen off I quite a bit. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, I fell asleep. I fell asleep with Bill Maher during the other night when he was on, so I don't know what he said. Um, so I fell asleep during it, and I always wake up just in time for new rules. Um, so go 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 figure about that. But uh, no, so what I like about the movie is not a, it's not like a strict biopic. It's really just about the passage of the civil rights bill. So it's really that's the focal point of the movie. Um, so told with flashbacks to the assassination. I gotta tell you, I as other, I I just feel like I just got done just less than a year ago watching Jackie. So to see that again, that reenacted again, I gotta tell you, I I was kind of like not in the mood for that. Mm-hmm. I just felt like we've been hit, and also with all the talk about the release of the JFK assassination, the files and all that. I just mm-hmm. like, wow. Okay, I feel enough like I'm already. Yeah, and I thought I'm not trying to disrespect the Kennedy family, the Kennedy memory, but it just felt like that. Um, I like the movie. I like his performance. The whole movie hinges on Harrelson's performance, and he just seems perfect as for all the LBJ's quirks and everything, and all his wildness, and you know, as he has very open, matter-of-fact way of dealing with people. He's one. It's a wonderful performance. Whether it has any traction in Oscar time, I don't know. Um. But it's just a really great performance, and a good. And Jennifer Jason Leigh plays Lady Bird in the movie, um, which I didn't know. I didn't know that until watching the watching the movie. I was like, oh my god, that's Jennifer Jason Leigh. Um, so and and let's see, Richard Jenkins is in it. It's got a lot of good character actors in it, a lot of. But it's all about really the passage of the Civil Rights Bill. Um, so it's a very timely movie. Um, I'm not going to not going to bring up politics during the show or anything, but it does hark back to a time when there were adults in the room. Um, so, yeah. I will but say that. Wasn't very... all the way, wasn't all the way about the Civil Rights Bill, too? Yeah, yeah pretty yeah, much. Yeah. I mean, we have, and that's, and that, and, and that's, that's a good point, and I didn't realize, you know, that's, that's another good one, too. I mean, I, that's a good, I, and that'd be very interesting to compare and contrast the two performances. Um, so, um, to me, to me, the 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 Cranston performance is absolutely completely uh, perfect. Like without yeah, it's, it's, without it's any flaws in it. It is. Yeah. I mean, like sometimes you're sitting there watching it and you just cannot believe that's not LBJ right in front of you, like in that movie. Oh no, that's, so it's uh, an interesting cast of characters that play actors that have played LBJ. You have what? Don, was it? Who was the one in the right stuff? Um, Donald. Was it Donald? Donald Moffat. Donald Moffat. Donald Moffat. He's good. I mean, I like not Randy Quaid played LBJ. Yeah. In a TV yeah. movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean te- got, tem- temperamentally, yeah. temperamentally, uh, you would think that Randy Quaid was. I mean, he probably was at the time the perfect actor to play LBJ. Yeah. He was, <laughs> no, yeah. He was, no, he was. Yeah. You know, he did get good reviews for that. Um, 
for that TV movie. Um, and Michael Gambon. And that's Mike. the one I was going to say, the one that passed the war or whatever. That yeah. One. Um, yeah. That's a very yeah, Frankenheimer's. Oh, he's a very, yeah, it's a very um, interesting, he's a very interesting character for an actor to portray. And I have yet to see a bad perform, a bad portrayal. No, but the Cranston one is one of the best ones. Roughly right. I think that's, that's like the one. <laughs> that's, I mean, the, that's the one. I don't know. Personally, I'm not going to go see the LB, LBJ movie because I already feel like I've seen uh, I've already seen it in uh, all the way, so I don't need to see right. it again. Uh, we also and, saw uh, LBJ on the, the the Vietnam on the Ken Burns Vietnam thing. I mean, it's kind of even though this doesn't deal with Vietnam, where you can't help. You know, I feel like also it's like LBJ. We've gotten a lot of this year too. Um, yes. No. We really have, uh, yeah. It's it's been it's been a little overwhelming, and uh, 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 oh, I wanted to mention Tom Wilkinson played him in Selma, of course. So, oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, who yeah. Played him in, who played LBJ in the Butler? That that wonderful movie. The, the oh, Butler. Was it was no, well, well, it was. Oh shit! He played Nick. Okay, I'm sorry. Who did he play? Oh, okay. Who's Spacey in, in that? I can't well, remember I now. Was, yeah, he played Nixon in El, um, El, the Elvis and Nixon movie, but I don't remember. I think he played was. LBJ. Uh, oh my god! I'll have to look. I'll have to look. I'll have to look at this. Um. <laughs> yes, I gotta look it up too. Gore, you're killing me. You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. <laughs> no, Tom, uh, Tom Wilk. Tom Wilkinson was LBJ in some. What what are we talking about? Oh, the Butler. We're talking about the Butler. Yeah, um, yeah, the Butler man. I'm looking it up. The Butler man. Butler dude. How? Why are they? God, they got him listed so low here. Uh, oh, Liev Schreiber. Liev Schreiber. Ray Ray Donovan. Ray Donovan yes. played LBJ. Right. When all feels, go with your name, you can pronounce Ray Donovan. Liz Scribner played him. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> any, chance to, any chance to bring that name up is, is good by me. Um, okay. Ray Donovan played him. Okay. Right. Okay, so here's another great movie that I've seen this year. It's definitely going to be in my top 20. Is uh, Ruben Oslund's The Square now? Ruben Oslund, uh, we I might saw remember. Today too. Oh, I you saw, saw it. it? Oh, good. Yes. So we can discuss yes. it. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> this is a really, really good movie. Uh, okay, so uh, Ruben Oslund, just in case you don't remember, uh, had a, co- a movie a couple of years ago called Force Majeure that was nominated for the Best uh, Foreign Film Oscar. Definitely one of my favorite movies of that year. A movie about uh, the moral underpinnings of a of a particular um, a particular event that happens to uh, a family while they're on vacation in the Alps or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to tell you too much about it. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it immediately because it's really really good, really funny, um, and and weird. Uh, the square hits that same kind of uh, kind of uh, wheelhouse. It is also a movie about uh, morality in uh, small ways and big ways, but uh, 
it takes place at a uh, at a uh, Swedish um, uh, art gallery where we follow the uh, the head of the gallery, played by Klaus Bong, uh, uh, and uh, he is. Um, he is ushering in a new uh, uh, event at the gallery uh, that is led by this one piece of art called the square. And the square is, we see the square at the very beginning of the movie being installed in front of the uh, of the museum. And the square is this square of light that's embedded into the uh, the pavement in front of the museum. And in the square there is a uh there is a uh, a placard a, a sort of a brass plate that says within this square uh all people have all rights and uh and um and everybody will be treated fairly in this within this square um so uh the movie the movie goes on to set up a, a number of situations involving the head of the museum in which his morality is tested in various ways. There's the, uh, the uh, by the way, a lot of this movie, even though it's Swedish, Swedish, is in English, so that would explain the presence of people like Elizabeth Moss, who's in it, playing a, a journalist who interviews Claude mm-hmm. Bang at the beginning of the movie. And uh, Dominic West, the the star of The Wire, uh, is also in here playing an artist. Uh, so, um, so there's a, you know, there's a little bit of uh, if if you're tired of reading subtitles, you know, there's a little bit of rest in this one. Uh, but uh, I I don't want to get too much into what happens uh, in terms of his being tested, uh, his morality being tested, but it. It definitely goes very, very odd places. Like, for instance, <clears throat> I guess the big scene in it, <laughs> you know, one of the big oh, scenes yeah. in it. <laughs> There's a couple things. Yes. Well, tell me what you thought about it, Jerry. Well, I liked it, but I, I went on, I just, I guess I'm walking out of it today. I did go on Twitter and Facebook. If there are parts of it, I mean this in a good way. I, I know people sometimes think they're... Um, us film geeks, us film experts can get in a lot of trouble sometimes, and people are very, uh, can think we're being facetious. Or other, and, and things get lost over text, obviously, because of tone. No one knows the tone. But it did, parts of it, in a good way, reminded me of Holy Motors. Um, there was sort of a, and, and the scene I think that you're talking about in question certainly reminded me of Holy Motors. But there's such a level of creativity um, mm. in the movie that you're sort of overwhelmed um, by but I just I like this guy. This guy is obviously trying to make a point. He's obsessed with the smartphone and what it means and its ramifications for society. And in this one, I think more so than in the previous film, because the previous film, remember, remember the father goes, "What does he get? The avalanche?" He, goes, he rushes for the iPhone. That's right. Remember that. Yes. Remember that. That's very important for the rest of the movie. Here is the uh, the ramifications of the iPhone. It's because missing. It's lost. It's just. Um, it's just I was trying to explain. I had a friend last night before we went to a concert. Was trying to explain to my mom the you know how that basically everything our whole life is on these things. Um, whether we like it or not, we just made it so our whole life is on the smartphone. It's, it's just whether it's good or bad. It's just this vital invention. But he seems to tackle it very well and like really bring out the social implications of it. I, I mean, it was just kind of 
the movie just works on so many different levels, you can't help but be impressed. Um, and it gives you a lot of food for thought, I think. I'm still thinking about the movie, Dean. That's why I'm a little bit quiet, because I'm just still trying to. So this conversation is helping, so that's good. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, for instance, let me bring up one of the things that happens in it. Um, <clears throat> there's a there's a, a piece in the museum that uh, when you look at it, 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 it all it is is uh, various piles of uh, dirt that are piled up in a room. There's like, you know, 16 piles of dirt, you know. And in one scene, we see a worker coming in, a janitor coming in, to clean up the place. (laughs) Later on... Later on, the administrator of the museum finds out, who's Christian is his name, uh, Christian finds out that uh, that uh, the janitor accidentally swept up some of the dirt. And uh, so here's the morality question. Do, uh, do we call the artist and fix it up, uh, even though there might be some kind of... Uh, payout that we have to make because of insurance and so forth? Or do we just go and get the dirt and just add it back onto it? Don't tell anybody about it. So that's just one of the, you know, questions that he has to he has to answer for himself. But there are bigger ones uh, too that are are a lot more thorny. Um uh but uh you know the famous the the soon to be famous scene I guess which you'll see if you go to the movie it'll be on the poster is a uh, is a scene involving a um, an actor who is playing an ape <laughs> playing an ape. and he actually by the way this actor did play an ape in the ape movies in the in the Planet of the Apes movies so that oh, actor wow. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, that actor idea. did play an ape, and uh, so so there's a, a swanky party going on uh, with people in tuxedos and everything, and he, uh, and I guess as a, you know a function <laughs> as a perform piece of performance art, they have the actor come in to invade this space as an ape, and uh, and. Uh, I don't want to tell you where it goes, but let's just say it is riveting. It's a little sort of ten-minute short film that could easily be stand on its own. Uh, that's you know in the final third of the movie, but it is so good. It's so riveting. It's unforgettable, um, and uh, like a lot of the movie is, I think it's just a it's oh, a yeah. really. Really, really strong. Another really strong movie. He won the Austin won the Palme d'Or for it. Um, mm-hmm. So it is it is this year's Cannes Film Festival winner, and uh, I think deservedly so. I mean, you know, I didn't see all the rest of the movies that were up for it, but uh, boy, this was this was really really good. I mean, he's a, a unique. Austin's a very unique voice, I think, and uh, he does seem to be concerned with things that are uh, right in the thick of uh, where we are now. So, um, right. No, well, Force, Force Majeure is uh, made by Top <clears throat> Ten. So I'm anxious mm-hmm. to see this one. I, I just wish this mm-hmm. one had a different title. Because the, the, the square has been like so many movies. I mean, just a couple of years ago, there was a 
the documentary really how you about like documentary the square. I just yeah. So every time I see the square, I think of that documentary. I'm not thinking right. about the new yeah. movie. But yeah. Yeah, we've had. By the way, we've had the circle this year. We've had the square. All we need is a documentary about the circle and the square theater. Group. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> the rectangle that's got to be next, and uh, you know, uh, but yeah. uh, but go see it. It's great. It's called the Square. And and they so. and they say American audiences don't like math. I mean, come on, all the stuff yeah. going on. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. You okay. So what else? I saw we an seen? interesting film. I saw something interesting. Oh, uh, let's talk about it, please. Yeah. Nobody knows what I to say. Hear. What? No, <laughs> I'm no, shocked. no, no, I want to hear. No, I want to hear this, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw I saw 7852, which is the oh. uh, documentary that examines the psycho shower scene. Yeah, I want to see that. Uh, man. And it's uh, on the whole, it's a it's a it's a very worthy examination of Hitchcock's art. There are one or two interview subjects that uh, offer absolutely nothing to the proceedings. Uh, so I guess he just kept them in there because he'd feel bad <laughs> to cut them out since they gave their time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just a lot of just looking at the screen going, oh, wow, you know, and trying to hypothesize about things that they don't know about and making references that make it obvious that they know nothing uh, like, yeah, this is just like that scene in Jurassic Park. So, uh, I mean, there are, there are a few moments like that, like this really stupefying uh, bits of analysis from people that shouldn't be involved. But on the other hand, they, I mean, they they do go into the background of Hitchcock leading leading up to Psycho very briefly and only in service to what Psycho accomplishes. And they go through the times, both cinematically and culturally, that Hitchcock was was playing in when he created Psycho, and then they they really do. Walter Murch goes frame by frame in the shower scene. Walter Murch in particular, like he gives you a, a, average cut links, uh, the subjective points of view in, in various shots, oh, why neat. he might have made this decision over the other, and the, there so there are there are enough illuminating bits that make it very much worthwhile to watch. Like, there's a whole sequence uh, when he uh, takes the painting off the wall and looks through the peephole. Uh, there's a whole sequence where they, where they examine what that painting is and what that painting says about the themes of the movie. And most people are like, I, you know, I know that he took something off the wall, but I didn't know it had significance. And mm. yeah, as a matter of fact, the painting itself does have significance. And it's wow. incredibly <laughs> eye-opening. It gives you such an appreciation of, you know, you know this instinctively that nothing was in the frame by accident in a Hitchcock yeah. film. And, and this this absolutely confirms it. It's, so it, it's, it's, I think it's, you know, it's nowhere near the uh, cinematic kind of punch drunk experience of you know Jorowski's Dune or something but I think right. the, best that we've gotten, the best that we've gotten to that this year uh, so mm. it has potential to make the bottom of my top ten if I don't see anything else that impresses me as much but, so but here's a question question did they did they go into it all the uh, the sort of the contentious salvage Yes, <laughs> yes, because just to explain to people, Saul Bass, 
claims to have directed the uh, shower sequence. Uh, I'm not quite sure if he claims that he was in there, actually in the director's chair, telling people to do things. But he definitely uh, uh, storyboarded it. Um, And I would assume that he storyboarded it with, you know, Hitchcock, you know, over his shoulder or something. But I don't know the details of that. Do they go into that? Yeah, they do. And there was some review that I read. I forget the site now, but I left a comment because the critic, he generally liked the movie, but he said it's so odd that there's not even a single mention of Saul Bass in the movie. I'm like, yeah, there is. (laughs) They they talk quite a bit. (laughs) So that tells me right there that he wasn't paying attention when he was watching the movie. They, they, uh-huh. they do talk. Uh, they do talk about him. They talk about Hitchcock having him make up the storyboards, and then Walter Murch and others talk about how Hitchcock's uh, impromptu shots and, and points of view in a couple of those moments deviated from Saul Bass. So uh, they were like, "Well, that, that shows you right here that Hitchcock actually directed the thing." But it, mm. it's not. Uh, I mean, that's not an unusual thing. I mean, Saul Bass, Bass was a, a unique visual stylist. Uh, that uh, Hitchcock trusted. And so he had this idea, and he said, could, could you put together a storyboard of maybe some quick shots of how a shower murder would go? Because 1960, it's a very delicate... Uh, you got a nude woman, you got a knife, a mm-hmm. stabbing death that's going to be told from all these different angles. You can't show the knife going into the flesh, obviously. You can't show very much flesh. I'm, I am shocked that they showed as much flesh as they did in that scene in 1960. Uh, it really gives you a great appreciation for how far he took it back then uh, and, and what, what that single scene birthed and that he knew mm. how important that scene was because he shot it in private and he took four weeks to do it. That was a, mm. it was a quick production, Psycho was. It was a TV production. He used all of his TV production crew. It was cheap. And he spent four weeks on that scene. He knew that that was the watershed moment. Mm. Uh, so, uh, but Sal Bass is mentioned, and 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 his his contributions are celebrated, but not uh, overextended. Like a lot of people want to think that he actually directed it. You know, it's mm. it's obvious that it's Hitch's movie, it's Hitch's yeah. concept to begin with to do the shower scene in that in that manner. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that 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 uh, that sounds good. It's the. Uh, I'm uh, I'm glad to hear that uh, that they go through every shot and and get get very uh, wonky about it. Uh, yeah, they, they, they really I'll, do. And, <laughs> and they'll they'll like go to other things and they're like, okay, back to the actual shower scene. Shower scene. <laughs> and they go, yeah. go go frame by frame. And one of the major interview subjects is the body double, who was actually the one that was there. That she talked about how mm. they how they filmed everything, how they prepared her, how she was completely naked, and how her. Uh, her what's that thing called the murph the uh the the the, the covers the vagina the the what's it called <laughs> the merkin 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 it's a how that merkin, kept falling yeah. off and and yeah. she and she was a showgirl i mean she was a new dancer she was like why don't i just take it off it keeps falling off and Hitchcock was like no no keep it off <laughs> okay so, wow it's really entertaining okay well that does that does sound good i'm going to check that out um I uh you know wanted to mention this uh, I I um uh I took a look at John Ridley's movie for ABC called uh Let It Fall which is a documentary 
<laughs> it's actually called Let It Fall, Los Angeles, 1982 to 92. Um, and, uh, of course, John Ridley is... Culminating uh, in the riot. Yes, culminating in the riot. It's everything that led up to the Rodney King riots, uh, uh, and uh, and that includes, you know, the um, the you know the many precursors to it that uh, offended the black community, rightfully so. Uh, and some of this, a lot of this stuff was covered in the OJ uh, movie, uh, the uh, Made in America. Uh, but it gets deeper. Uh, <clears throat> the more it gets into it, uh, the more we get new material, uh, new, new uh, revelations. Um, I don't want to go on too long about it, but uh, it, it's it's quite good. Uh, and um, if you can sort of withstand, you know, the, the kind of the, the feeling of abject despair that it kind of gives you. Um, uh it's it's definitely worthwhile uh worthwhile watching so it's called let it fall uh and uh it's just played on abc and john ridley is a real talent uh you know oscar winning uh uh screenwriter for uh 12 years a slave and uh now has moved on to mostly tv he's been doing american crime uh, or uh, is that right? Uh, that's the show. Yeah, he's got um, the, the ABC and Showtime stuff that he does. <laughs> right. So, uh, so you know, I, 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 just I, did, I did, I did watch it uh, because because when uh, it that whole season on the anniversary of the riots, the 25th anniversary, uh, they had four or five movies on cable and regular television about it, and I I felt like none of them fulfilled much more than uh, what O.J. Made in America did for me, except for one, and I don't think it was the John Ridley. I think it was the one that Showtime did uh, called Burn, Motherfucker, Burn. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the one that I thought was best out of all of them, but I think it was that one. I don't know. When you watch five movies about the same topic within a month of each other, they just kind of... <laughs> yeah, they do blend you know, together. Much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's bit, like the body switching movies in the eighties. It's like you know, I, I think I've had enough of this. You know, I think I get it. <laughs> it's true, but it's important. It's important to to document all the stuff, you know, while people are still around, and so uh, you know, in that in that way, you know, uh, it's it's necessary, I think. But um, I also watched, uh, you know, changing changing tones a little bit. I watched. Uh, it feels like I've watched like. Ten of these movies this year, but I've only watched two. I've watched The Trip to Spain, the uh, Michael Winterbottom's third uh, 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 foray into Europe with uh, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, uh, and uh, it's more of the same. Uh, and I don't want to. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. It's good. <laughs> it's good. They. they it's just I love this series. It's so great. It's like it's almost like getting um, you know, uh, I don't know, like a series out of My Dinner with Andre or something. It's so. Yeah, it's they're they're fun. They're fun to hang out with. It's interesting that they bring in their real careers. You know, I can't tell if they're really. You know, it's Bryden and and Coogan sitting together, you know, eating and talking about their lives and their careers and and kind of 
also trying to outdo each other with imitations and comedy and so forth. I like how the uh the their relationship is getting warmer as the movies go go on. Like I, I feel I feel like they're 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 le- uh, you know it, it started off and they were rivals. Uh now now it feels like they're real friends and colleagues and they accept e- each other's um sense of humor a little bit more and their each other's foibles and uh faults and um uh I I I just really really dig these movies uh, these trip movies and I hope they keep making them until they you know I mean I want to see them go to America uh, I think that would be fun oh my but, god uh, so much weight though. I mean my god it gives you like like some of the like the guy guy if you're you know if you like dumb you know the diners dumpsters. I mean they go to one diner man they're gonna put on so much weight I mean oh my god <laughs> that's that's true that's true. Uh, yeah, it, it, there won't be the small portions that they're used to eating. No, no, no. They go to some of these places, like, if they went, I mean, I can think any place, really, go to any place. Oh, my God. I mean, I can hear the commentary. It is, it is so weird. It is so weird that, uh, uh, my uncle, in the weeks before he died, he did, he did, wouldn't eat anything. But he, when we put a TV in his room... All he wanted to watch was that uh, that guy with the hair dyed white and blonde that goes to all the diners. Uh, yeah, all yeah, he wanted yeah, to watch was, was all he wanted to watch was the Food Network. Anthony like, Bourdain. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> it's no, very no, comforting no. watching the Ferrero, Food Network, or whatever his name is. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, oh. Oh. oh, totally. Oh my God. I mean, it's very comforting. Yes. Yeah. There's something about it. You know, it's like it's like uh, it's sort of like you know you can uh, you can use it as background noise. It's, it's but it's not too noisy. But yet, uh, you know, you can you can let your mind drift away for a little while and then drift back to the show and do, don't feel like you're missing anything really. Uh, I don't know. It's <laughs> I I've I've gone through my uh, cooking show phase. Uh, I think I'm safely generally out of it now, but. Uh, yeah. But uh, but I did I you see that, that. Uh, did did you see the Joan Didion uh, documentary that Griffin Dunn did? I, I want to see that. I I haven't seen it yet, so I can't wait to watch it. Though I really Me, I haven't seen it either yet. It's okay. I mean, it, it, I mean, she's a worthy subject. It's just uh, it's okay. Uh, it's it's not uh, anything much more than a your basic profile of a survivor. And how she's able to translate that into her writing, how she right. found her voice and um, became one of the most, you know, prominent uh, female voices out there in, in the land of uh, essays, especially. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's fine. I, I know. I want. I might watch that tonight. Actually, I mean, it's no, yeah. it's no addicted to love, which is Griffin Dunn's masterpiece as a director. But uh, oh, that's right. It's still good. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> that's something I didn't even know. Yeah, um, I, didn't, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't remember that. Wow, that's really do you really? Um, you, do you remember that wow. movie, Matthew Broderick at Meg Ryan? And, I do uh, remember. I do remember the movie. I just didn't realize. I had forgotten that he had directed it, though. I didn't realize that. Wow. Okay. Holy shit! I did love did we it? like? Did you guys like Split? Criterion? I I finally watched Split on HBO. 
And I was like, well, Shamalana Ding Dong like, did a, a decent did a uh, scare picture, yeah. <laughs> it's it's so good. I, I feel, I kind of feel like, like it. Carter Page? In the movie, the guy, uh, he looks like Carter Page, I think. Okay, uh, well, uh, um, but... Uh, for me, for me, the movie is good up until about the middle of it, and then it kind of goes off the rails during one of the uh, therapy scenes with the with his therapist. You know, uh, uh, I I don't remember the details of why I thought it did that. Uh, you know, but I remember thinking, you know, this was a good movie, and <laughs> now now it's not. So, but. I will say that James McAvoy is very good in it. I mean, it's oh, top-notch yeah, performance. He's not somebody you generally like. Dean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean he's he, he's very good. You know. Um, but um, okay, so I wanted to bring up this documentary that I watched on uh, Amazon Prime. Now this is Total Film Geek. Material right here, so <laughs> you know this is going to be catnip for most of the listeners. If you've never heard of it or whatever, the movie is called Trespassing Bergman. Terrible title, okay? <laughs> I hate those titles. You know, okay. those something in Bergman. Uh, you know, whatever. I don't like those titles, but uh, it's directed by Jane Jane Magnuson and uh, High Neck Paulus, uh at you know, and I think they do a pretty good job of it. Uh, I would have cut the movie a little differently, but here's what the movie is. Basically, that what they're doing is they've charged them. These filmmakers have charged themselves with bringing the greatest filmmakers in the world to the island that Ingmar Bergman had his house on, the rocky, oh. sort of desolate island oh. that he had uh, filmed on uh, Persona. And shame oh, yeah. and uh, hour of the wolf on. <clears throat> it's a very, uh, you know, a very stark kind of place. Uh, perfect it ain't fantasy to... island. No, it ain't fantasy <laughs> island at all. Uh, but in in this place, he built his sort of modernist house uh, that he kept most of his life, um, uh, and. Uh, so the filmmakers that are brought to this house, and I don't want to tell you all of them because part of the fun of the movie is like, wow, God, who's going to pop up next in this? But I'll just talk about some of the ones that they actually bring to the house to go through uh, Bergman's book collection and video collection. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, uh, they bring to the house uh, – uh, Alejandro Inaritu, uh Claire Denis, um, the French filmmaker, oh. who almost oh, has wow. a nervous breakdown because uh, she almost has a nervous breakdown because she feels it's the experience of going through Bergman's personal space to be too intimate. Um, John Landis is the one, uh, one of the few American directors that makes the trip. Um, Ang Lee. Uh, and uh, a couple of others. I think um, 
I think Catano or well, anyway. Uh, but almost every major director is interviewed here. I mean, like it is, it is unbelievable. Uh, I mean, yes, Scorsese, yes, Coppola, yes, Woody Allen, uh, Lars von Trier, um, you know, Ridley Scott, uh, Takashi Kitano, Michael Haneke is another one of the I gotta ones that comes. I got to watch this too. <laughs> I mean, it is crazy. It is it is yeah. nuts, and it is a very very uh, great opportunity to see Bergman's space. Obviously, where 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 he created, where he where he watched movies. We get to see um, uh, Lars von Trier, uh, who is typically outrageous, uh, uh Wax philosophically on Bergman's masturbatory habits, which I thought was <laughs> kind of a strange, strange place for this movie to go. But um, uh, it is if you're a Bergman fan, uh, you will be doubly uh, thrilled with it. But if you're not a Bergman fan and you're just getting into it or not into his movies yet, this might be a good primer for you. Uh, and at any rate, if you're a fan of any of these filmmakers, and I haven't even touched on half of them, um, then if, if, uh, if you're like if you're like a, a true uh, Bergman uh, acolyte, like if if you're like obsessed with him, if if he's your Kubrick, <clears throat> and because uh, I know Kubrick fans are like this, and uh, no other filmmaker can compare. Would you watch this movie and get pissed off? Like, uh, would you think these people aren't worthy of <laughs> trans- uh, trampling? Oh. John Landis is not worthy of trampling <laughs> through Bergman's space. No, because you know why? I, I, do, I don't. I don't feel that way. And I am a person who is a major. I mean, I'm, I, I wouldn't hold him as high as you know, as being you know someone who's unapproachable. But <laughs> I am a major Bergman fan. And uh, no, because everybody who is interviewed in this movie is a Bergman fan. They're just as big Bergman fans as I am. In fact, probably even more so. Again, to go back to Lars von Trier, uh, Lars von Trier actually has a moment in the movie where he where he curses Bergman. He says, "Ah, that shit. He never answered my my uh, he never answered my fan letter. Uh, he never invited me to to come and vi- visit him here." Uh, at the place, he, he uh, you know, he just he says, "God, that that fucking bastard!" But I love him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, so I mean, that's that's how big of a fan he is, and so I I, I can't uh, no, uh, you know, even John Landis, I'm I'm fine with him being in there because he 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 adores Bergman and and uh, everybody does uh, here, so. Again, the movie is called Trespassing Bergman. Uh, it was made in 2013. I'd never heard of it before. I don't know how it escaped me. But uh, luckily it is on Amazon Prime right now. Uh, and uh, so you can check it out uh, if you Kubrick, have that yeah, Kubrick wrote to Bergman, by the way, just as, just as an aside. Uh-huh. That letter exists. Yeah, uh, yeah um, so, I mean, that, that's interesting. Um, what, what did he say? Do you know? What, what he, was said, uh, he said, you, you, yeah, he said, uh, after you're dead, uh, they're not going to have any respect for you. They're going to let John Landis trample through your house. 
Um, <laughs> okay. That was good, Jerry. Okay. You're not laughing. I mean, I'm just—you gotta forgive me. I'm baffled. Don Landis, and I like Don Landis. Don't get me wrong. I mean, not—I don't like. I mean, no, obviously, but I mean, it's just like he's not the first. I don't know why. I just don't think of Landis and Bergman, and I, I think you brought that up and everything. But you gotta forgive me. I'm still a little he, bit baffled. He's, by he's, that. he's good. Yeah. He's good talking about movies. Yes. Actually. Uh, yeah. No, you know, he, no, he, that's actually a very good point to, to bring up. I would like to think. Um, but not all directors, but most film. I would like to think a majority of the film directors, especially the directors we've spoken to, obviously the well-known ones and the lesser-known ones, they all should, I think, have that passion for the art form. Um, I think when they don't, I think that reflects in their work, too. Um, it so does. It's good. You know, I think that's something. You know, obviously that you have someone like a Scorsese or, or Tarantino, or, but you also... Uh, there are more, I mean, everyone that we've talked about on the show, uh, Spike Lee, Woody, Woody Allen, another one, they love movies, and it shows in their work, whether they're making a reference or to another film, you know, an homage, if you will. But, so, it's just, I it just don't, Landis, unfortunately, my, it's not, I don't know if ignorance is the right word on my part, but it's not the first name that comes up when I think of someone to be in a Bergman documentary, but that's good. That's yeah. Good, that's well, Landis, so. Landis definitely has a love of, uh, Love of cinema, uh, safety precautions be damned. So mm-hmm. I was waiting for that. I was waiting for something to come up like that. <laughs> God damn you, Val. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm fine with, uh, you know, I, I still have a lot of affection for Landis. And I, in fact, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, John Landis, you look at those those early movies from uh, from Kentucky Fried Movie, on to probably you know a little bit after the after the Twilight Zone thing, um, all of those movies and even the ones after to a certain extent. But in that golden period from ninety from seventy seven to maybe eighty three, those movies that oh, yeah. he made in that period are have such a distinct vibe about them. Mm-hmm. They have they are directed very solidly. They, uh, you can watch five seconds of them and tell that they came from the same director. Uh, the editing style, the uh, the uh, the pacing, the the acting style, the uh, the 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 arch kind of dialogue, the uh, everything about them, the use of music, um, uh, all of that stuff is very very uh, uh, is is very very distinctive. Uh, he really, you know, if it hadn't been for that event, for that stupid movie, um, uh, uh, he would have continued to be a great comedy director. Uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, and, and even, you know, I mean, and that's that's uh, saying that I know that there's other things like Three Amigos and. You know, Innocent well, coming Blood to and Coming to America. I like Spies Like Us and Coming to America a lot. I, mean, I, I, love I, don't, I don't care for Spies Like Us or, or uh, Into the Night, uh, mm-hmm. but those are, those are all very, very good movies, too, that almost rise to the level of of, uh, of his previous work in that golden period I was talking about. So I, I, I 
I'm totally for considering, despite the fact that he, you know, he he fucked up and he didn't do his due diligence and that thing and whatever. He suffered because of that. Uh, yeah, he's not mm-hmm. dead like those other, the, like the people that are dead now, but um, but it definitely <laughs> did. Uh, it did affect his wow, concessions. Wow, 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 that's. <laughs> It's, it I mean, did affect yeah, his career. It's, 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 spite I, of, it's spite of his avarice leading to two children getting cut in half. It was, it was well, you know, I mean, I don't know all the details of it. I, I haven't read any books about it or anything like that. I don't know what what he did or didn't do in order to in order to prevent that or not prevent that thing from happening. Yeah, I'm I'm not even quite sure it's his fault. He could have been pressured by the co- the well, company to do well, things you need, quicker. You need to you need to read about it. You need to read about it. Okay, but uh, yeah, but if, if you if you want to, if you want to know, it's it's out there. There's a great book. That was written 30 years ago about it. Yeah, well, I'm sure there's a book out there about it. I'm just, you know, uh, you know, for me, you know, again, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna ignore the the uh, some things that you know Polanski did because you know uh, I like his work, uh, I'm, I'm judging the work alone. That's all. <laughs> not not right. not judging, you know, how he, you know, that's all I'm doing, and so. Uh, uh, on the work alone, uh, Landis is one of the greats, uh, especially in terms of comedy. Oh, and we mm-hmm. even forgot, you know, American Werewolf. In, I mean, American, yeah. American Werewolf in London. Period. Oh, that's in that that's period, period, you know. That you're talking about, though. That was in yeah. the period that you are talking Blues about. Blues Brothers, uh, Animal House. Uh, just, yeah, uh, no, no, but that's, uh, those, yeah, those are all in the period. What I like is the thing that I like that he does. I always like the way he ended the movies with the credits and everyone who's in the movie and showing everyone uh-huh. who was in. I always love that. That's one of my favorite trademarks of his movie. That is fun. It's fun. He's another director too that like uh, <laughs> uh, that uses the same font for his credits in every movie. Mm-hmm. That say, you know, like like Woody Allen uses that font for his credits mm-hmm. and <laughs> you know. So he's a font director. He's, he's one of those directors. I don't know. It's just a little side, geeky sort of a side thing. But no, 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 no. But yeah, no. That's a good point. Though. That's a good. All right. Maybe uh, enough with John Landis now, since um, I mean, yes. Um, another movie that I watched this week. I'm sure this is a movie that you love, Jerry. Uh, oh, a God. band well, called Death. Have you have you seen that? I've been meaning to see it. It's one of those things that you know I have. I want to see it. I definitely want to see it, but um, I just haven't got you know. It's one of the, you know how you have those films that you've been meaning to watch, but you just haven't had the time to watch. You should watch it. You, you I know gotta I have watch it on my Netflix too. No, I definitely want to see it. I mean, I mean, I so, definitely want to see it. Let me just recommend this movie to people if you've never heard of this. Uh, I've known about this movie. I know that it, I've known that it's highly acclaimed for a few years. It's a documentary. Um, uh, a band called Death is about a band called Death that uh, began in um, uh, the early 1970s, actually. Uh, yeah, that's right. They were they were a black uh, band that uh decided to, uh, out of Detroit that decided not to uh follow in the footsteps of Motown and so forth and instead took took as one of their main 
you know, uh, influences, The Who. Uh, <laughs> and they decided to uh, start playing kind of uh, really raucous rock and roll. When it finally came out, they were, they were doing these demos in their house that they owned. When they finally got together and started playing together, what came out was kind of a proto-punk sound that kind of uh, predated even the Ramones. Uh, so this is 1972, 73, um, and uh, the film tells the story of not only them getting together and struggling, but also, uh, you know, uh, the, the making of the music and then the, the fact that the music is kind of put away for many years uh, and uh, lied moldering on, you know, reel-to-reel tapes up in somebody's attic for 25 years until they finally uh, were released to great acclaim. And uh, so basically this movie kind of falls into that wheelhouse of something like uh, Searching for Sugar Man. Uh, yeah, and, that's what I was going to ask you if it was like that. Yeah, it has that. It has that kind of thing. It's not as moving as uh, Sugar Man is, but it is definitely another movie that um, sends you rushing right to the uh, right to the you know the uh, to the internet to to look up how you can buy this record or whatever. Um, but uh, very 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 great uh, music doc. That uh, uh, I I I think I kind of overlooked it because it had you know it was a band called Death and I thought it was going to be I don't know I thought it was going to be some type of music that I wasn't going to like I guess uh, and uh, and it turns out I really did dig it and uh, uh, you know the, one of the big stumbling points for the band was that the leader of the band who was a very eccentric uh, uh, genius, um, decided to call the band Death. Uh, and that was a major stumbling block for almost uh, everybody that considered putting them on their label. You know, Clive Davis had heard the demos, uh, the famed uh, um, music mogul, um, and was ready to sign them if they would only change the name of the band, and he refused to change the name. So the other band members, you know, they were getting rejected left and right because of that name. And um, I can understand because I've been avoiding the movie because of the name of the band for many years. Well, there is a famous famous speed metal band called Death, by the way. I don't know if they're still around, but there was a famous from the 80s and 90s called Death that was very popular in that scene. So just to um, just there's um, that there, was I there don't might know, be you might get them mixed up, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I think that's what I, you know. Originally, when I heard the title, Dean, that's what I thought that it was about. I thought, you it, thought was it was about the that speed band. metal band. Okay, yeah, yeah that's, that's it's it. not the same so band. I don't have so. a problem with that, but I just didn't think there was enough towards the documentary. Now, speaking of music documentaries, there is a documentary I do want to see that just came out. I think it was released on iTunes and Amazon about the band L7. That I really want to see. I want to check mm. that out. Um, okay. And there's there's another thing that about Black Sabbath that's about their their farewell tour. Yeah. I do want to check that's out. That's on Showtime now, too. right? 
Yeah. Oh, is it? If it is, I'll, I'll go. I'll watch it tonight. Then. Yeah, it's I it's it's airing on Showtime. Uh, yeah, there was a man. There was a boon in music docs a couple of years ago when they won the best documentary Oscar two years in a row. Music yeah. documentaries. That was something. And they're both worthy. Oh, it was a long time coming too. I mean, music documentaries to me are. I mean, it's so funny because you call them documentaries. You call something like you know. Uh, stop making sense a documentary and I there was a time where I would I would name that particular movie as one of my favorite documentaries and the person I'd be talking to would be like uh is that really a documentary uh yeah it is it documents these movies these are music documentaries I don't care if it's a concert movie whatever concert movies are documentaries uh Rich Pryor live in concert documentary uh, Monterey Pop documentary, but Woodstock, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know the the Robin Hitchcock one, uh, uh, Storefront Hitchcock by uh, also by Jonathan Demme, documentary. These are documentaries, <laughs> you know, um, but they've been such a huge uh, part of the documentary. Uh, realm that it was yeah. time for them to be nominated and winning win some. At you know least. what documentary I like a lot. I don't. I think I mean, this might be before your time on the show, but there was one many years ago um, called It Might Get Loud with Jimmy Page, um, mm. Jack White, and The Edge that I thought was just wonderful. I mean, I thought that documentary was just a wonderful, wonderful film. Um, yeah, the, the best, the lot best lot music. The best music documentary I saw this year was the uh, <clears throat> was the one that Colin Hanks directed about the death metal band uh, after the Paris shooting. Uh, oh, oh uh, the Eagles of Death Metal. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was I thought that was a really good film. Yeah. Um, and I still need to check out uh, uh, what is it? Long Strange Trip. The uh, the um, yeah, I want to see that one. I'm not a yeah, deadhead, the I Grateful Dead one. I've, I've lived with so many deadheads in my life. In all seriousness, roommates in college, but then I know people follow the dead. I just would like to check it out. Just, uh, I'm very curious about that. Um, mm. Definitely want to see that. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff. We're okay. gonna close on a list. Oh, uh, what's our list? It's been a little while since we've done a list. Here, according to Vulture. At Vulture.com. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh-oh. It is the <laughs> top ten music documentaries of all time. Uh, yay! All right. Yay! Who did this? What is that from? <laughs> yay! You sound like, like Special Ed on Crank Yankers there. Um, <laughs> okay. <sighs> Number ten. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't looked at this list ahead of time. Okay. But I don't think we'll have a problem with most of it. Number 10 is The Last Waltz. Yeah, wow, that's wow, low. <laughs> that feels low for for The Last Waltz. Uh, yeah, I wonder if, uh, you know, I mean, how do you guys feel about the talking portions of The Last Waltz? Because, I mean, it's I think those... so long. I don't remember them or, you know, exactly, but... Um, I, I watched it on PBS so long ago for the first time. I'll never forget that. Like when they were raising, you know, when the PBS is, when they were doing the fundraising, they yeah. were doing like the, the last waltz around it every time. I mean, it was like we're showing 
time this year. <laughs> so, but do, do you? How about you, Jamie? I mean, what do you what do you think of those sequences? Do you? Because I feel I feel like they're a little manipulated a little bit, and I'm not even sure they're really telling the truth or. I don't know. Are those even necessary? <laughs> you know, we're watching yeah. the greatest musicians, a litany of the greatest musicians in the world, and the concert itself was four hours long. And uh, yeah, but well, uh, you know, it, it, it depends on the film. I, I mean, when you're when you're talking about, because I'm sure this isn't the last time Scorsese's name is going to be mentioned in the top ten. But if you're talking about something like Woodstock, uh, those those interview snippets and stuff or, you know, to uh, further uh, what that experience was, the Woodstock experience. It wasn't just about what was going on stage. It was about the culture that was happening off the stage. Yeah, uh, so, I have I less mean, a problem you know, with, with that, with that particular instance. Yeah. But there is a thing about, I mean, at what point do we stop talking about the music and it's more important to show to to listen to it than it is to listen to people talk about it. Uh huh. So I think there's yeah. Yeah, to me, to me that I mean maybe that's the reason that this is hit number ten for this particular writer because because maybe the talking uh, takes away from the actual concert experience, you know, because you kind of just want to the talking uh, the you know the you know it's Robbie Robertson you know sort of training and and uh and then then you know there's, there's very little attention paid to you know Levon Helm who's really should be just right yeah. there along with with Robertson in terms of focus and uh you know Garth Hudson's was, not was, really he, talked to he, very much and he, he he obviously took a shining to Robertson cuz they obviously Well they were best friends and, yeah 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 they were best friends. They were Coke buddies. <laughs> they were, they were, they were, they were they pussy like hounds. They were pussy hounds together. Uh, they. I um, saw the band twice. I saw them twice in concert. They were great. That was a great. Those were great shows. This was now late, obviously you, much later on. Much later. Okay. On, we're talking about the, in the early nineties. Yeah. So my friends. You know, it's like, it was, it, it's like last night here in town. Leonard Skinner was playing a concert, and I'm like. No, they're not. I, I understand Leonard yeah, oh, has, been around, oh, God, that's has been around oh, since the plane crash. But, uh, <laughs> the real Leonard, the real Leonard Skinner is before Ronnie Van Zant died. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, of course, no, no. You're absolutely right, Jamie. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, absolutely. Um, but, but back, I, to, I, back um, to last, back to last waltz. Just, just let me just say this last thing. It is a fantastic movie. It is the, one of the greats. Even with the talking parts, which I can accept, I, I I I accept those in terms of like, well, it's kind of about the making of the movie itself, so I kind of enjoy those. But uh, uh, the music is so great, and the filming of that music is so fantastic, so well worked out. I mean, ridiculously worked out uh, yeah. that uh, it, it's it could be nothing. Less than than uh, you know transcendent when you when you're watching it. I mean, uh, it, he, know, he knows know. how to film it. He knows he knows how to film music. You know, he knows how to film mm -hmm. musicians at work. Scorsese, and even though I don't like, I mean, I'm fine with La La Land. Uh, that guy knows how to film musicians that work together. Mm -hmm. uh, the Whiplash guy. 
That know. would be neat to see him do a music doc. Yeah, yeah. That would be very, uh, very good. Their, their number nine is uh, Searching for Sugar Man, uh, which, mm, you know, okay. I watched this a few few weeks ago, again. Um, mm-hmm. So I was, I was wondering how it played after, you know, the bloom was off the rose, and, you know, it, it has the joy of watching it that first time. is just this enormous sense of discovery. If you go in, which the movie kind of lets you go in not knowing – anything about it, it doesn't reveal its hand right off the bat, that this Mm-mm. dude is still alive, which I, I, I love. Um, so I, I bet you a lot of people watch that movie for the first time not knowing, what the fuck? What? He's alive? What? Um, oh, yeah. It, uh, it has to be a major surprise for people. Uh, so uh, I I hate that we're, you know... <laughs> We're we're revealing the surprise, but by now, you know, if you're a movie geek, you should have watched Searching for Sugar Man. I mean, it was only you know the great, you know, the Oscar winner for that year. It's a, it's uh, a really just inspiring feel good movie too. It's just such a feel good movie. Um, yeah, I, I like it. It is. I'm ashamed too. I'm ashamed too because I knew nothing about Searching for Sugar Man. This was this was like months before anyone wrote about it. In months mm. before, the, you know, if it played at a film festival or something, and uh, I got offered Rodriguez and the and the filmmakers, and I was like, I don't know what the fuck that is. I'm not going to take uh, that. Oh my god! <laughs> and I was oh like, my god! Can we, can we go back in time? Like, <laughs> this is like one of the great movies of the year. Oh yeah. boy, that that kills me. Oh shit, that that's really that's sad. Well. Oh well. Anyway, moving okay. on. Number, Great movie. Number then. eight. It is number eight from 1979. The kids are all right. I'm a, little, I'm a little lukewarm on that one. I haven't. That's another one I haven't seen in ages. I I haven't seen it since uh, since the early days of HBO. I, I actually, but um, I mean, it's got a lot of. I, I remember it having a lot of good footage, but. Uh, you know what I would choose over that would be the rock and roll circus, the thing with uh Oh the Stones. That, yeah, with the Stones and the Who and and their and it's basically just a music documentary, that's all it is. It's just these performances. And uh I think that's even though it's not exclusively about the Who, I think it's got the best Who performance on film. Uh, so which uh, I, which is their version know. of I know what my number one music documentary is, and so I'm curious to. I'm not. I'm not scanning down ahead of time. I'm curious to see if it's. Oh yes, you are. You're lying. I know you. <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay. Their number seven, I haven't seen. It's it's. Uh, the number seven is from 2000. It's called Freestyle: The Art of Rhyme. I haven't seen that. Either. I don't. I, the roots, I don't, I don't dress. know that one. Okay. Um, Fitzger- Fitzgerald is there. Kevin Fitzgerald. Uh, takes an interesting approach in that the movie is about uh, the raw material of rap, which is the rhyme itself. Mm. There's uh, rap battles with dozens of artists, um, conversations about inspiration and attitude. He opens the genre up even for the uh, non-connoisseur, explicating its nuances. Mm. He's a good writer. Okay. 
That's a good writer. Yeah, yeah, decent, that's a that's that's a good good piece. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do have to say that with rap, uh, I am fascinated with the uh, with the mindset that uh, is able to master freestyling. Uh, I, I I don't know how they do it. I, I'd be very interested in that because I, I'm uh, fascinated by it. I'm fascinated yeah. by it. Yeah, just I, 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 it seems, it seems like, what are they reading rhyming di- dictionaries all the time? I just, are they walking around, you know, making rhymes in their heads, or have, how, how do they do it? I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's superhuman in some ways. Number six <clears throat> is a 1967's uh, the Pitterbaker film. Don't look back. Oh yeah, that's a that's a great one. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. I mean, yeah. How would you compare that one to the? Uh, how would you compare that one to No Direction Home, which is the Scorsese? I knew you were gonna say that. I like that one too. I won't lie. I like. Um, I do like that one. I like No Direction um, Home definitely. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously it's that's very good, but. Uh, but it, it wouldn't exist without "Don't Look Back." No, uh, because no you know right. <laughs> they could, they had to take a lot of Pennebaker's stuff, and there was so much stuff that Pennebaker uh, shot for that that they were able to release two other movies uh, that were left, you know, that were like made up of the stuff that they cut out of "Don't Look Back." So, <clears throat> um. Lesser movies that I can't even remember their titles now, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that's where you get to see the raw, uh, you know, this newcomer, <laughs> Bob Dylan. It's crazy yeah. to think that there was a time where he was a newcomer, but uh, but he was, and he was instantly fascinating. And uh, in his own way, he was just as fascinating as the Beatles were. Like for instance, in his in his. Um, uh, you know, in his press conferences and so forth. You know, the Beatles yeah. were famous for charming the press with their humor and everything. And uh, Dylan was able to do it with with some humor, yes, but also with a measure of uh, <laughs> a measure of disdain and uh, right. disdain for the press, and also uh, a, a sense of a, a kind of sense of the absurdity of it all. Uh, and I think all of that stuff was fascinating for the press too, but in very different ways, of course. An interesting uh, so, part of the uh an interesting part of that Joan Didion documentary, by the way, is um is when it talks about how much she loved Morrison and when she spent time interviewing Morrison. Um, oh. uh, by the way, a band called Death uh is made number twenty nine on this list. Okay. Good. Okay. I, I know that because the list inextricably Pan, panned up, so now I'm trying to stand back down. <laughs> Good. Uh, we are at number five. Their number five is my number one. And I know you'd argue it's not a music documentary, but look, it takes place entirely in the world of music. Uh, it, and it's Give Me Shelter. Um, because, Dean, you and I were talking the other day about uh, what makes documentary so great, and it's they're especially great when when life is unfurling right before the cameras and yeah. when history is being made. And that happened in this documentary. And the documentary mm-hmm. com- completely changed its purpose on a dime uh, right. based on those events that are captured live. 
uh, and, and it becomes something so haunting. And it was supposed to be, if you, if you parallel that with what it was supposed to be, which was just following the stones around on tour. Mm-hmm. And they witnessed, the mur- they witnessed this murder on camera. And, right. uh, and there's, there's this really like haunting quality about it. it. It really does feel like, you know, it feels like a part of that era of, of, of the, tr- the true end of the, that kind of generation. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, There's right. nothing more chilling than seeing that freeze frame of uh, oh, yeah. Oh. of Jagger. yeah of yeah. Uh, of yeah. Jagger as he's turning away from the movieola or whatever after watching the the murder on film. Yeah, and, and he should have he should have ended it there. He should have ended it there. But you know, I'm thinking about it. Um, because he doesn't end it there. The, the the credits roll on the next shot, which are just a bunch of hippies walking down the street away from the concert. Mm-hmm. And I understand mm-hmm. thematically why that works, because because it's them kind of walking away from from that point in time. You know, it's the, the hippie generation. They're going. I mean, they're going in the opposite direction. They're going off into the sunset. I think is mm-hmm. what he was trying to say. But mm-hmm. I, I, that that image of Jagger is so uh, striking. It uh, is that it should have that should have ended right there. It does yeah. feel like it should be the end, the last shot mm-hmm. of the movie. That's a good so, point. But, That's a good point, guys. About that, yeah. that's really good. But yeah, I, I love that too. I would put that in the top five too. Uh, what a remarkable movie, and I and I actually, you know, Brett Morgan, um, you know, he's winning raves now for. The, the Jane Goodall documentary he did, but he he did do a Rolling Stone documentary, Crossfire Hurricane, and so when I interviewed him, I asked, you know, you're doing it, you did a doc about the Stones, uh, but you have you know, the the brass ring out there with Give Me Shelter, and I said, how do, how did you kind of contend with that? And he said, you know, one of my main objectives was to find out what they thought of that movie and the legacy of that mm-hmm. movie and that events that it captured. So he mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, I, I, you know that was a, that was a, a beast to try try to you know go face to face with, but um, mm. it's real. It's just an astounding movie. Number four yeah. is uh, from two thousand one. It's called Scratch. Uh, DJ Shadow. I had a uh, feeling yeah. that would be on here. I had a feeling that would be on here. I'm not sure I agree with that entirely, but that it was so high from up. Doug but Gray. I have a feeling." I don't know anything about it. Uh, it was very popular it. when it came out. It was very popular okay. when it came out. It was very, I mean, yeah. Um, wow. Okay. Uh, well, you know, it's about the, the the it's about the D, the the DJs um, um, and what what they do. It said, it said yeah. Ultimately, ultimately, Scratch does what a great docu- music documentary should do. It not only deepens deeply understands the culture it's chronicling. It covers it so well that even someone who knows nothing about it will come away feeling invested. Okay. Um, so, yeah. All right. Just I don't know how I feel about watching DJs and stuff. Uh, uh, I mean, I've gone to a DJ Shadow concert and uh, and also a DJ uh, Scanner concert as well. And I'm like, yeah, this is kind of weird just seeing a guy standing up at a machine just standing there. I don't know. What's Bizarre. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it's, it's, it's fascinating. I like the records. <laughs> well, you know, 
Fat Boy Slim is fucking in heaven. Yeah. Number three is uh, Aaron's favorite movie, actually. I think it's Aaron's all-time favorite movie, and that's uh, Stop Making Sense. I didn't realize that that was Aaron's favorite movie. That's crazy. Well, I mean, you know, I I'm all for that. You know, I I I think it's the best movie of that year, '84. Yeah. Uh, I think it should have won Best Picture. <laughs> I think that's crazy to say that, but uh, but I I didn't have I've never had more fun in a uh, in watching a movie. Um, no, it's a good one. It's a great. I mean, it's truly great. Um, Jesus Christ. I mean, yeah. Wow. It just puts you there, and uh, you just feel like you're. It's really the only concert movie that makes me feel like I'm at the concert. Uh, mm-hmm. Very, very, very few make me feel that way, and um, it, it just all comes down to the way it was designed by uh, not only by <coughs> by uh, Demi in terms of film, but uh, uh, by the Talking Heads in terms of the stage. Uh, the staging of it, um, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it's it's got so many great visual elements, and it's just like it's like a movie. Like every single song that passes by, it's like surely it can't get better than this. It just can't get better than this, and it just continually does. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he, just, he was obviously blessed with a great uh, great subject, <laughs> you know. Uh, a, a, a great, uh, obviously great music, music but uh, just interesting, especially Burn, interesting to watch on stage. I mean, he was just so odd, and you know, you couldn't take your eyes off of him. But um, he's got a new album that I want to get. He did a collaboration with Brian Eno that I think just recently came out that I want to get. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, he was also blessed in the fact that these were all... They were all art school students, uh, so they all have a very uh, keen visual sense, and uh, and yeah. that's one of the things that makes the movie pop. With is the is the, uh, is the you know all the stuff that's going on behind them, and the and the the way that they come out on stage, you know, one by one, mm-hmm. and the, <laughs> the just the very the very notion of the lighting and the costuming and the. Uh, 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 of all the people and the the way everybody's personality comes out in the film is is also very fascinating. That uh, just through the pay, playing of the music, uh, it, it's it's an extraordinary movie. And uh, if you ever get a chance to see it on the big screen, go 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 go. It doesn't matter if you're a fan, if you're not a fan, if you found them irritating or whatever, go anyway uh, because it, it 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 will change your mind. Also, uh, I mean, Demi was making music documentaries up to the very end of his life. I mean, he was. Yeah. He had just he had just released uh, the Justin Timberlake concert film. He came on our show a few years earlier to talk about a music documentary he made. I mean, he was mm-hmm. deeply invested in that genre. Yeah, um, more so than almost any other director. I mean, you can't. I can't yeah. name too many other directors that have done more. Well, shit. He he must have done at least. Seven. I know he did two, two uh, Neil Young documentaries. Yeah, and he mm-hmm. and he also did the the Robin Hitchcock. 
So I mean, he yeah, he was extraordinarily stock, right devoted. Forefront of his talk, isn't that it? Yes, forefront. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good. Those are good. Yeah, good, good films. Okay, number two. Uh, the Decline of Western Civilization, Part Two: The Metal Years. Um, I that's I don't know if I put it that high, but it's a great film, and the first one is also a very good film too. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen the third one. I don't know if I've ever. But this Metal Years has one of the one of just the most memorable and disturbing scenes in it. Um, Chris Holmes of the band Wasp getting drunk in a swimming pool with his mom watching on. Um. You have not seen Disturbing until you watch that. Um, just cringeworthy. <laughs> it's cringeworthy. But it's a very wow. – he's, by the way, a reformed. He is reformed. He's a recovering alcoholic. Um, I read an interview a couple of weeks ago. Um, but, and he, I mean, that scene is there forever. I mean, that part of the film. So, I mean, it's just something that – it's a wake-up call. But it's a very good film. Um, and I very strongly recommend it. Um, recommend is it, it better more, than the no. first one, though? Is, is, yes. is that possible? Yeah, it's more – it is better than the first one, but the first one is very good, though. Do not get me wrong. Um, it's a, it's an excellent film. But it's just, I guess, the, the second one has, how should we say it, more memorable moments, if you will. Um, and better production and values and stuff a little bit. And... Yes, yes, yes. But, I mean, look, it's Penelope Spears. She does that. Of course, she's made Wayne. Don't get me wrong. I like her as a commercial director. But she made some really great, like the Decline of Western Civilization movie, Suburbia, obviously. I mean... Really, a really great director. When we talk about female directors, yeah. her name doesn't come up enough. Um, actually. Yes, it doesn't. Well, and doesn't. after you after you see the decline of Western civilization, uh, you don't blame the studio for automatically uh, uh, pairing her up with the Little Rascals. I mean, that's uh-huh. like a no brainer. I, I, I just I just don't I just don't understand <laughs> what the hell anyone was thinking. <laughs> and they gave her they gave her Beverly Hillbillies too, right? Didn't she do that? Yeah, well, look, do it, do it, comes to a I mean, you know. I, well, all of that was because she directed Wayne's World, so they yeah, thought that she was, all came yeah. from Wayne's World. It all from Wayne's World. Yes, yeah. All right, well, so you could guess what their number one is. It's it's uh, Woodstock, which is the. The go-to for the a lot of the establishment in terms of music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Woodstock is a great, great, another great big screen experience. Uh, oh yeah, never, oh, definitely. You know the the uh, great split screen work and everything, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'll just top ten. I would have put uh, I would have put uh, Monterey Pop. Another D.A. Pennebaker. Um, uh, I certainly uh, would have put, uh, you know, Woodstock definitely has a place. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty dang good list uh, yeah, all, all, like overall. I, I think I think just, just the exclusion of Monterey Pop is the only thing I really have a major problem he, with. Uh, you know. I, I think it's a great list. Um, which is rare that I would agree that we have such agreement on these things. I'm yeah, just curious. Sure. So let me ask you a question. I do like a lot. I don't know if I put it in the top ten. I do like it. The filth and the fury about the sex pistols. Is that on their list at all? Or I'm sure it um, is. I'm going down their list now. I mean, I see that uh, some kind of monster is number twelve. Uh, Twenty feet from starting. Guys, with. that's a great. That's a great film. Um, yeah. It's just to watch that. There are things, revelations in that movie that I still to this day are just like, wow, 
they they wanted they wanted this film. Okay, um, it's a fa- that's um, a fascinating documentary. Elvis, that's the way it is. You know what? Uh, this is interesting because I was about to ask if they ever made a a movie of the Isle of Wight uh, festival in 1970 because that that festival was bigger than Woodstock and it happened. I think they did not too long, not too long after Woodstock and. Uh, I guess they got around to making it in 1997. It's the number 34 movie on this list. Uh, they had to shelve it for 27 years due to financial and legal right, issues. problems, yeah. Right, I mean, wow. you're talking about J- Jimi Hendrix, The Who, Free, Jethro Tull, The Doors, Leonard Cohen. I mean, all the albums are out there. You can buy mm-hmm. Isle of Wight performances up the wazoo, but, but I guess this is the documentary that puts them all together. It's good. It's good. I would also, you know, there's like there's lots of jazz documentaries, like Jazz on the Summer's Day, the uh, Aramavakian movie from 1960, uh, or or fe- uh, you know Festival, which is about the uh, Newport Folk Festival uh, that was done in '65, which includes you know uh, the the footage of I think of uh, Dylan going electric for the first time, um, yeah. and uh, and then. Uh, you know things things like uh, you know let's get lost the uh the that's number um, 23 the Chet Baker yes that's very good uh Thelonious Monk straight no chaser uh which that's was number 11 my, yeah Charlotte oh it made it up to number 11 that's good uh so yeah there's a there's a lot of uh a lot of great jazz stuff and uh and uh certainly certainly some of those that a couple of those that won the Oscar, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I guess uh, Twenty Feet from Stardom is good too. So yeah, yeah there's right, no hurry. Right. But this is a good yeah. list. Though. This is a good list, though. I got to <laughs> That's a good list. Yeah. No Barry. Uh, okay. All right, got Monterey Pop sixty-five. Um, oh wow, that is way low, way too low. Because I mean that what, what, that what, lineup what is. Back is on here. Oh, watch that. That's a good one. Heavy metal parking lot, you know, I guess could be considered yeah, that, one. Yeah, <laughs> you know. No, it's, hey, I was at that concert, so. That was my first <laughs> concert, so. Uh, and uh, even even some things like, you know, from Mao to Mozart, Isaac Stern in China, you know, might might should be included. Or uh, What's Happening, The Beatles in the USA was a good one. with uh, That's Albert and David Maisel's again, so. Oh, there's tons of great, great ones yeah. out there. Sugar man, won't you hurry? Cause I'm tired of these scenes. For a blue coin, won't you bring back all those colors to my dreams? Silver magic ships you carry Jumpers, Coke, Sweet Mary Jane Sugar Man Met a false friend On a lonely, dusty road Lost my heart When I found it It had turned to dead black hole Silver magic ships You carry 
Turn to death like cold 